0: Uh, we talked last week about the fact that there is a God that exists, that created heaven and earth, that we are going to be held accountable to um, one day. And because we have that, um, we take a look at the life that we have and we find out that there is, there is sin, there's a problem that sin creates, uh, that problem is death, uh, that's complete and total separation from God, uh, it also has created physical death. Right. One of the one of the results of living life is the death that we have that comes, you know, some for some of it's 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 sooner than later. And some of it's it's, you know, in our in our hundreds. And so then some of the things that we talked about before. And of course, that sets up a reason for the gospel. And of course, we've talked about what that gospel was and uh, what it's not. So in 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 this in this lesson, what we want to take a look at is the provision and the payment that we have um, <clears throat> for, for that sin. So let's start off, go over, to, go over to Romans chapter 3. And it's one of those things, you know, we've, we've said this before. Um, you're, you're never going to get saved until you know you're lost. And you're never going to know you're lost until you know that there is a God that exists that you are held accountable to. Uh, Whether we like it or not, whether we know it or not, whether we believe it or not, it is true. And, uh, you know, we we come down in in Romans chapter 3, and let's just read. um, Let's read verse 24 and 25, and then we'll get started. All right, so Romans chapter 3, verse 24. Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to study your word, that you preserved it throughout the years, that we can have it, we can handle it, we can study it, and we can take this information and apply it to our lives that uh, that we might be to the praise and honor and glory of your grace. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> All right. So I got to I think the the air wasn't working when we got in here and it's 74 in here right now. And uh, it's not too bad if you just sit. (laughs) But if you've got uh, a sweater vest on that keeps keeps warmth here and you're moving around doing stuff, it gets a little warm. But has it come down yet? Okay. All right. She said she had a fence. Yeah, that's all right. All right. <clears throat> now, one of the things that we that we look here is we've talked about this before. Part of the gospel is is that what Christ came and died for our sins, was buried and then rose again the third day, right? And we see the same thing here in Romans chapter three. Is that's what that's what we're dealing with. But what we what we see here is. Um, <clears throat> As we go through here, notice in in verse 24, it says being justified freely by his grace through the the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, right? So when we take a look at this, Jesus Christ was delivered to pay a price, right? He came to the earth, and we've talked about this before, that God chose of his own free will to come in the form of flesh. Notice, go over to Philippians chapter 2. Um, Philippians chapter 2, verse. notice in verse 5, he says, Philippians 2, 5, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Now, we read that, and there's a whole lot of bad doctrine out there about what this means as you go down through here. But here's the issue. What is it that we find out? That Jesus Christ, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, right? So when we think about that, you know, there's newer versions. They'll take that and they'll make a mess out of it. Um, and they, they attack the deity of Jesus Christ. And a lot of people look at that and say, man, that's okay, we'll move on. And that's there. there's absolutely no reason for that. And as we go down through here, notice what he says in verse seven, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. Now you think about, you think about that, um, we, we've we kind of touched on this before. And one of, the things, one of the things, you know, you stop and you think about this, and you're like, okay, uh, now really what is all this going to entail? Think about this. Um, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, right? And we've talked about the fact that you had angels that were living and and working in the government of god up in the heavens and in the earth as well god created that that system that structure right we've talked about those before what happens is satan falls and takes some of the angels with him okay then you have darkness upon all of it because that was part of the judgment that we we've gone through you know we went back and talked about the the glory right created for his glory that that series that we did So then what happens is God says, I'm going to take back the heaven and the earth. And this all took place prior to all that creation. God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit were back here, the triune Godhead, and they decided we're going to do something to gain back those positions in heaven and the positions on earth. And the way that they were going to do that is the Son was going to come and... Die on a cross for all man's sins, right? Now you stop and you think about you think about what's going on here. We go back, we go over to Hebrews, and we find out you know when when God created the angels um, and the seraphim um, and, and all that the 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 angelic realm, if you will, okay. When, when God created man, what did God use to create man? Dust of the earth, right? So he took dust out of the earth, formed man, blew, blew the breath of life into his nostrils, and man became a living soul, right? So then there's some things that's taking place there. Now, if you stop and you think about that, God created the angels, the seraphim, the, the all those angelic folks up here. But what he does is Hebrews tells us that he was he made he made Christ a little lower than the angels, right? How did he do that? Well, he came in the form of of man, right? So he took upon him himself this form of earth, right? So that tells us a little bit about how God created the angels and things like that. It wasn't from the earth because that's lower than those angels, right? I'm all right, Delilah, I promise. I'm going to sweat through this sweater vest, but that's okay. So God created man out of the earth. <laughs> you okay? <laughs> so God created man out of the earth. And like I said, he was made lower and the angels how because he took upon himself the form of a servant he took upon himself notice um, verse seven but but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found as in fashion as a man he humbled himself and became obedient unto death even the death of the cross so when the son comes here And takes upon himself the form of a servant made after the likeness of men to go to that cross. That's what he's talking about there. Now, what a lot of people do with verse 5 is they'll say, well, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ. And they'll say, you can also be like God. And that's what they do with that verse. But that mind that he's talking about there isn't that. He's talking about the lowliness of mind. The prior four verses, he says, let this mind be in you. The mind that I just got through talking to you about in the first four verses, how he says, notice in verse three, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. That's what he did at the cross, right? He esteemed us better than themselves. And he's saying, let that, let that thinking be your thinking. All right, that's what he's saying there. And so then, as you go through and you think about this stuff, we, we talk about it all the time. Does the a- angelic realm, do they have an opportunity of salvation or redemption? The answer is no. But man does. And so then, you take Satan, who is part of that angelic realm, and God says, I'm going to take man out of the earth, and I'm going to create him, and I'm going to give him the authority over the earth. And what he kept secret is I'm also going to create a new creature that's going to have those positions of rank authority in the heavens. Alright. So that's kind of a, a preview of some things that we're going to go to. So thinking about those things, let's take a look here. How is that possible? What how is it possible that God is going to get back the earth and the heavens? Alright? Here's how. Notice in Romans chapter 3. And, and you know, what, I, what we just did right there is slightly probably more above the basics, but, you know, we've got to keep those things in mind um, as we go down through here and just kind of keep that in the back of your mind. We'll talk about that a little bit more as we get there. Notice Romans chapter 3, verse 24. He says, Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Now, we, we know that, this, that we, have, we have this redemption in Christ Jesus. Notice verse 25, whom God hath set forth. Now, we've talked about that before. What's it mean to be set forth? And that was, that was one of those, it was, a, it was a public display, right? It was exposed to the public. And that's what, that's what we think of when we go through there, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation. What's that word propitiation mean? a fully satisfying sacrifice so if if we owe a debt what does that word right there tell us that Jesus Christ that God set Jesus Christ to be a fully satisfying payment for that debt right so then one of the things that we look at here is who made the payment God, God the Son right who accepted the payment God the Father, right? We talked about that when we went through the faith of Christ, right? You go back um, in in the Old Testament Scriptures, and we find out that God says, I will accept what you do, right? We looked at the verses, and we, we looked at the fact that Jesus Christ could go to the cross because he knew the Father would accept that payment. And so that's what we see here. God set forth Jesus Christ to be a propitiation. Notice, Through faith in his blood, question, who is it that believes, who was it, let's put it this way, who was the first person, I kind of hate to say it that way, who was the first to believe that Jesus Christ's payment was completely and totally satisfactory? God the Father, right? We've talked about that. So when he says that God hath set forth um, to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, That's God's faith. God accepted what Christ did as the fully satisfying payment for his justice. And God can look at that cross and say, my justice is fully satisfied. The payment has been completely and totally made. Now, when we go on down through here, notice he says, why is it? To declare his righteousness... For the remission of sins, well, whose righteousness is that? As we go down through here, notice, notice what he says to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins. Well, whose righteousness? Well, back up to verse twenty-one. Notice, but now the righteousness of God, without the law, is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ. Okay, now we stop and we think about this. God the Father looks to the cross and says what? I I am fully satisfied by that payment. I accept that payment, all right? God the Son is the one who hung on that tree, right? His faithfulness to go to the cross to fulfill the plan that they created before the foundation of the world God the Father says I look at that and I accept what God the Son did and then what's what's really interesting is we you know we go down through here who is it that wrote these verses God the Holy Spirit right so God the Holy Spirit looks at all that and says I'm going to have I'm going to have some men write some things down why do we know the Holy Spirit did it? It's because of Psalm 119, 89, right? Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Where is it that Romans chapter 3 was first written down? In heaven. And it wasn't until Paul gets revealed that information that the Holy Spirit can say, okay, now's the time to bring this out. In fact, you notice in verse 26, he says, to declare, I say, at this time... His righteousness, that he might be just and justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. So, God's righteousness can now be imputed to somebody by their faith. We look to the cross and say, I accept what God the Father accepts. How? By faith. Right? We look, at, we look at the cross and we say, we accept and we trust in completely and wholly on what the God the Father trusts, what the God the Son did, and what God the Holy Spirit wrote about. And so because the Holy Spirit wrote about it, we're believing what he wrote about that event, right? And so then when we look at this, the provision and the payment was set forth by who? The Godhead. All three of them. Now we, we you know we'll we'll talk about some of these things a little bit more later on, but you think about you think about the triune Godhead, why is it important to have three? Why is it important to have three? These three are one. Okay, we know that these three are one. There's three in heaven that bear record or there's three that bear record in heaven, these three are one, right? Mm -hmm. Who what? The Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, right? Mm -hmm. So when we look at that, that's what we know about the Godhead. Why is it important to have three? Think about this. If, If there's just God the Father and He says some things, do we know that He can be trusted? Think about it that way. For instance, I walk in and I say, guys, you all would not believe what I just saw outside. There is, there is a helicopter that came down and swooped down and hit a bird and then it flipped and went into Panera and blew it up. Right? You all, you all st- stay in here and you don't go check it out. Do you have to take my word for it? don't have to. You would have to because there's no other way for you to, to find out. If I don't let you leave the room, you would have to take my word for it. Well, in order for you to take my word for it and actually trust it, what do ha- what do you we- what is it that I have to have in order for you to believe me? Huh? Backup Back up of some kind. All right, so if somebody else came in and said, hey, guys, you wouldn't believe what I just saw. There was a helicopter that came down and hit a bird, and then it flew down and, and hit Panera and blew up. Now you've got a second person that corroborates it, Right? Remember when, uh, Wednesday night when we're going through and we're talking about you have to have two, at least two and three witnesses in order for you to actually um, bring forth a, a, an accusation against somebody. All right? Real quick, go over, to, uh, go over to Timothy. Second Timothy chapter five. Second Timothy chapter five. I need a Baptist hanky. <clears throat> or my bad, first Timothy chapter five. Okay, so somebody should have just been yelling at me saying, Hey Greg, there is no second Timothy chapter five. All right, so first Timothy chapter five. Notice in verse one. <clears throat> I went to the right thing even though I said the wrong one. First uh, Timothy chapter five, verse one: Rebuke not an elder, but entreat him as a father, and younger men as brethren. Now, he's talking about he's talking about here dealing with uh, an elder in the church. Notice, drop down to, um, <clears throat> drop down to verse nineteen. Notice nineteen against an elder, receive not an accusation, but before what? Two or three witnesses. Two or three witnesses. Now, think about this. If if I come in and I say this, and then somebody else comes in and says the exact same thing as me, is it possible that we could be in cahoots and we're just trying to make up this story that you all be like, hey, this is this is kind of strange. And we'll just kind of go along with that. Is it possible? Yeah. So what do you need? You need a third person to verify what the other two are saying. Now, that's really what we've got going on here, okay? And so what we find out back over here in Romans chapter 3 is what? You have God the Father trusting in what God the Son did, and you're reading about it because God the Holy Spirit had something to do with it as well. right? And what's really interesting, we, we don't have time to go through this, but when we get over, you know, one, one of these days we'll go over to, to Ephesians, and in Ephesians you'd be shocked at how many times the Trinity shows up, all three of them. You'd be shocked about how many times that shows up. And we'll talk about that a little bit more whenever we get there. Um, Go real quick to to Romans chapter 5. Again, some some other verses that we've looked at before. Romans chapter 5. Notice in verse 6. For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Well, who did he die for? Unsaved people. people. How many people do you know in your life that are unsaved? Probably the majority of them, right? So what do we know about them? He died for them, okay? Now, for scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Isn't that amazing to know that he didn't give up his life for his best friends and his best friends only, but he gave his life up for what? Notice in verse 10, For if we, for if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. What were we before? We were what? We were enemies. Children of disobedience, if you will, Ephesians chapter 2 says, right? Notice what happens. For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. Now, this brings up a whole whole new issue, uh, this issue of reconciliation. And one of the problems that a lot of people have is they don't understand that there's more than one reconciliation in Scripture. There's actually four, and we've talked about those before. And if, if you just read this and just say, okay, well, you know, God's reconciled everybody, so everybody's saved. That's not what reconciliation means. You think about, you think about this, and again, again we don't, we're not going through this, but it is something that, that shows up here, so we, we, we want to be able to talk about it. There's actually four different types of reconciliation that's taking place. The thing that makes it possible for you to be reconciled to God is the death of his son. That's what, notice he says, for if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God, how? By the death of his son. The thing that makes it possible for us to get salvation, to be personally and individually reconciled, is that event right there. That's why it's important for us to understand that event and all the things that took place and everything that goes along with that. We know that the provision and the payment was made, but go back over to Romans chapter 3. There's, there's a caveat, if you will. All right. Notice in Romans chapter 3. we looked at this just a little bit and I stopped at a particular point on purpose. Notice in verse 22. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, notice, unto who? All. All All right. Who has the opportunity to have the righteousness of God? Everyone. Everyone has the opportunity. Notice, and upon all them that what? That's the caveat, right? If you think about it that way. <clears throat> what is it that you have to do personally in order to have the righteousness of God imputed to you? You have to believe. Notice in Romans chapter 4. Now, one of the things that, that, that always shows up and comes up and, and you know, all the, all the things out there in the world anytime you go and talk to somebody um, they always like to bring up James chapter 2, right? Mm-hmm. Well, how do, you, how do you deal with James chapter 2? Well, first of all, huh? of you go to James 1, right? Who is it that the book of James is written to? Twelve the 12 tribes that are scattered. Yeah. All right. Next time somebody brings up James chapter 2, ask them what tribe do they belong to? Because if they don't know, then they're not probably they're probably not one. In fact, what we find out today is there is there is everybody's a Gentile now, right? The nation of Israel no longer has their standing as God's chosen people. They're now down with the rest of us. They're now considered heathen, right? We we look at what we look at Galatians chapter two, and we see what's going on there, and and go back to Acts chapter seventeen and find that out. So then, when we take a look at that. The very first thing, but, and we've not gotten there as far as this series, but think about this. Why do we know that we need to look at James chapter 1 to find out who James chapter 2 is written to? The thing that allows us to do that is what? Right division. If we understand how to study God's Word, that clears up the James 2, Romans 4 issue. Notice Romans chapter 4. Notice in verse verse 3. Well, let's start in verse 1. What shall we say then, that Abraham our father is pertaining the flesh hath found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory to glory, but not before God. Now you stop and you think there. What is it that Abraham found out about the flesh? Can't do it. Flesh can't do it, you know? Hold your place there. Go over to Romans chapter 8. Because one of the things that we have to continually remind ourselves of is the flesh can't do it. Notice Romans chapter 8. Let's just start off in verse verse 7. Romans chapter 8, verse 7. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. We've talked about that before, right? Little TV program that we do here. We went through that and we made it abundantly clear that they that are in the flesh cannot please God. So if you're going around trying to produce works, guess who's not pleased by it? God. Hold your place there. Go over to Hebrews. Go over to Hebrews. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 11. Now, what do we know about Hebrews chapter 11? That's the great hall of faith. A lot of people call that, right? Notice Hebrews 11 verse 6. But without faith, it is what? impossible. It's impossible. To please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is. Now you stop there for just a second. Why is it important for us when we go out to talk to people? Why is it important for us to be able to talk to them and talk about the fact that God does exist? What's the first thing that it says there? Because God, um, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is right? You have to know that God exists. If you don't know that God exists, if if you don't understand that basic premise, which is why we had to start off with that, right? If we don't have that, then why do we need salvation? If we don't know that God is, why do we need salvation from whatever if we don't believe that God is? Notice, That he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. All right? What reward do you get for diligently seeking him? Eternal life. You know, you go back over to to Acts chapter 17, we find out that, in fact, go over there real quick. Acts chapter 17. And this ties into our prequel, if you will. Acts chapter 17. Why is it that God set things up? And of course, you know we understand. Hopefully, that, that what we're reading here in, in Acts chapter 17, he's dealing with things that were taking place in Genesis chapter 10, specifically the Tower of Babel. But notice in, in Acts 17:27, why is it that he set up men and their nations and their blood and all this and appointed them uh, appointed them their times and the bounds of habitation? Verse 27, that they should what seek the Lord if happily they might feel after him and find him though he be not far from every one of us now there's some things that's going on there and 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 hopefully we we, we've dealt with that last week but notice it is impossible to please god without faith he says without faith it is impossible to please god so when we come over here to romans chapter 4 and he says what For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. If if Abraham can say, look at what I did, does God care about that? That's what Abraham found out. In fact, what's interesting is you go down through the passage and there's a few things that takes place. One is one of the promises that God gave to Abraham is what? You're going to have a seed, and through your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Bless them that bless you, curse them that curse you. So Abraham knew that he and Sarah is going to have children, right? Because why? God said so. What's interesting is, is God waited until Abraham could no longer have a child, and Sarah could no longer bear a child. So what did they find out? They got to the point where their flesh could produce no life. You ever thought about that? Well, he did, because he had a uh, legitimate child. But I'm talking like in fact, you go down, you go on down through there, how long did he wait? It wasn't just then. That's that's the point. What 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 Abraham found out is the the the, the child that he had with the handmaid, right? They had a child, but you keep on going. Notice, drop down to chapter, chapter 4, um, verse 18. Who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken. Underline that word spoken. How is it that Abraham knew that he was going to have that is because there were some things that were spoken. What was spoken, Genesis fifteen five. so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead. So it got to a point where Abraham could no longer produce a child. Right? His his own body was what? Functionally dead. Was Abraham still alive? Was he still kicking and all that stuff? And he was alive talking and all that stuff? Yes, so when he's talking about the fact that his body was dead, that means his body was functionally dead. He could no longer produce an heir on his own. Notice, when he was about 100 years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. So then again, is that mean? does that mean that her womb is dead? No, it means it's functionally dead. It can't produce. They could no longer produce a child, and they get to that point, and God says, guess what? You're now going to have a child. You ever thought about that? Because that's the issue, and that's the whole point of when he said when he takes up when he takes Isaac up into the mountain. He says, "Take thy son, thine only son." God didn't God didn't accept Ishmael as 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 the as the seed. And you go on down through there and notice verse twenty. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. Now you know you, you stop and you think about what's it mean to be strong in faith does that mean you have some you know you've got a bicep and you go out to to the gym and you do curls and stuff like that and you can you can strengthen you can strengthen that that muscle right is that what he's talking about here that you can go do things and make your faith stronger no when he's talking about he was strong in faith giving glory to God and notice being fully persuaded that what, he had, that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. He just trusted God's word, the things that were spoken. And that's all it was. So then when we come to, and so to bring this to where we're talking about here, God the Father says, I trust what the Son does on the cross. It is a fully satisfying payment, and I accept that payment. God the Son says, I, by faith, am going to go to the cross because I know that the Father is going to be pleased with my sacrifice and then the Holy Spirit is going to write that down. And what do we do? We come along by faith, knowing that we can't do anything about it. We just believe what the Holy Spirit said about that event, right? And so then we say, God, we believe that the Son's payment is also what? Fully satisfying, and so then we see that there is a provision and a payment that is made. Um, we're running way out of time, but that's okay. Um, real quickly, let's go get um, go get Galatians chapter two, and we see this again and. Like I said, we're running over, but that's okay. We'll finish off with this. Galatians chapter 2, verse 16. Galatians chapter 2, verse 16. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law. Now, somebody says, yeah, but what about James 2? Well, Go read James 1. Also, let's go look at Galatians chapter 2. Also, let's go take a look at Titus chapter 3. Also, let's go take it. And and so you see, what happens is the only way that you can actually help people see that what God's doing today is justifying people by faith in the shed blood of Jesus Christ and that alone is you have to be able to rightly divide the Scriptures, which is something we'll get into a little bit later on. But we want to make sure... What's the first thing you need to get before you before you can get into studying right division is what? You gotta know that you're saved. You gotta know how to be saved. You gotta know that you have to be saved. And that's why we start off with with those things. Um, so that's the provision and the payment that's been made. And our our goal is to what? Get that information to people and say, if you simply trust in what Christ did, God will take his righteousness, and impute it to you. Which is what Romans 4 is all about. How is it that God can do that? Well, he's already told us. He's just the justifier of them that believe. Alright? So, next week we'll talk about the new life that we have. Because that's an important thing for us to know. We have a new life. And in order for us to be able to function in that life, we need to know that we do have one, all right?